Greetings, friends. I am Tim Woody, and welcome to Leadosophy. Leadosophy is the fusion of leadership and philosophical thought. Together, we will deepen our understanding of leadership using the tools of meaningful dialogue, reflection, and a general curiosity to learn from one another. We will crowdsource knowledge, staying within the bounds of leadership, followership, team dynamics, and organizational effectiveness. I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. All right, so Adam, I'll read some stuff to kind of preface uh, kind of the topic. And like I said, this is completely organic. Man. Um, we're just we're, we're, the topic at large is kind of organizational effectiveness. Okay. Uh, kind of what I put out on Facebook the other day. I said, uh, and let me, I'll first kind of the intro here for for listeners. Um, you are here on Leadosophy. You're here with an open mind because that is the rule, and not the exception. I'm here with Jessica Schaefer. She's a lieutenant in the U.S. Coast Guard. She is my co-host occasionally. She comes around like a Haley's Comet sighting. Um, it's about one, once every 100 episodes, she comes around. So, and then I'm with, uh, chief warrant officer, Adam Lorenz with the U S coast guard and Adam real quick, if you could just kind of tell the audience, like what you do, what your job, what your role is. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, chief warrant officer, Adam Lorenz, currently the CEO of the coast guard cutter Saginaw. I am uh, a career eight ton guy. I've dabbled a little bit. I've been in 19 years. I did four years at a small boat station. A year of ice breaking and then started my Aton career in Mobile in 2008 and kind of circled through some ants, worked with uh, Mr. Woody um, back in the day um, in Long Island Sound and now I've kind of came back to where it all started back in Mobile and got one short year left and who knows where I'm going next. Maybe the Outer Banks. The beauty of uh, the Coast Guard and military life and traveling about every two to four years, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So... For the non-Coast Guard folks out there who are listening, ATON is short for Aids to Navigation uh, in the U.S. Coast Guard, one of the Coast Guard's 11 statutory missions, Aids to Navigation, maintaining the Aids to Navigation on United States waterways. Uh, Adam's been doing that for for a long time, as as he said, and a bunch of other Coast Guard missions. So Adam's very well-versed, called a multi, multi, what's that called? Multi, I don't even remember the name of it. Multi-mission. Multi-mission. Been a long time. I retired seven years ago. The lingo has kind of left me a little bit. But uh, no, Adam, I'm grateful for that. Adam's here. Adam's part of our Leadosity Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. Um, we talk about a wide, wide, wide range of, of leadership issues, followership issues as well, and organizational effectiveness. So today is about organization effectiveness, organizational effectiveness. What does that look like? A lot of times that, that term is thrown around organizational effectiveness and people talk about making organizations more effective but if you can't define organization organizational effectiveness how can you try to improve an organization Uh, so that's kind of what this podcast is about is start unpacking that a little bit so i'll preface this with organizations come in many sizes and forms from formal organizations like for-profit businesses and not-for-profit businesses to informal organizations like a local community group of volunteers organically formed to tackle local issues like crime, poverty, or addressing a lack of after-school activities for the youth. More than likely, we are all members uh, of one or many organizations. So Adam and Jess, there's a lot of discussion about the term organizational effectiveness. How to make organizations more effective, how do we define an effective organization, and what does it mean to be in an effective organization? And, or is effectiveness unique to each organization? So Let's just start off with, with each of you. When I say the, the word organizational effectiveness or being an effective organization, what intuitively 
kind of comes to mind. Jess, you want to roll off first? Actually, I'll defer to our guest. Adam? I was going to defer to you. No, no, no. Just uh, uh, no. beauty before age. Yeah, maybe beauty some, some adjectives. What are some characteristics? So, you know, what do you think about when you hear the word effective organization? What does that look like? What does it feel like? Um, maybe start there. I can say, I can say to me, right, is, is the biggest thing for me is pride, right? Seeing pride in your members, um, being able to give them the tools that they need to use or to, uh, to accomplish a job. Um, I think you can roll command climate into that. Um, I don't think you have to worry about command climate when everything is effective. Um, but I think really the biggest thing for me in the Coast Guard now is having the tools the people, the money, you know, you can all kind of round that up in, uh, to what makes us effective at our job. I think um, in the previous years, maybe leading up seven, you know, seven years ago before you retired, um, the people that were in the Coast Guard didn't need incentives. Um, so I think that we, which we still do, we still, with whatever we got, we still perform the mission. Um, and, and we'll never stop that. But I think I'm, I'm getting a little bit, as I get a little bit older, I start to see um, maybe that kind of, that trend going away. So I think it's hard to answer, you know, how are we going to maintain organizational effectiveness? Um, you know, you can give these, these guys and gals training. Um, you can throw incentives, be money or shorter lifts on a school and stuff like that. But, if they're not happy, they don't enjoy what they do, or they don't want to wait that time to go to these schools, then are they really being effective as they could be? If that makes sense. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question because I think there's, I think the way I look at your job. So you, you are in charge or in command of, of one military unit within the Coast Guard. So you have the Coast Guard organization at large. Uh-huh. And you, you're like a micro organization, right? With you're the organization within the organization. You have your own unit, uh, your own mission set, your own responsibilities. Um, do you is is it safe to say that you can only control so much of your world, your sphere of influence is is playing a role in the total organization organizational effectiveness of the Coast Guard? That makes sense. It 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 does. I think. Um, where, where I'm at and, and I know Jess has been it and you've been the same too, right? Is I think there was at some point in my career, right? There was, I, I guess, let me answer your question. Yes, I can control organizational, the minute part of my job. Right. However, I'm the type of person who I try to affect the whole Coast Guard. Um, and I don't think that everybody feels that way. Um, but Whenever, what do you mean by that? So, like, if we'll, we'll just we'll use best practices as an example, you know, like if, if we've been building aids to navigation the same way across the board, TTPs, you know, whatever the K NPCs that'll say you need to build it this way, um, and we determine that we find a better way to do it, safer, or the gear that we use, find something that's better quality, less expensive, whatever the case may be. Um, a lot of people will just roll with it and they will make their unit really excel. Um, I think today's leaders is they want to make change throughout the Coast Guard, but do they, I guess I don't want to say it, like everybody wants to, but there's obviously speed bumps and there's hurdles. Sure. Um, 
and it depends yeah, to so, your point, do they have the knowledge, tools, and resources from the organization to be able to do that? I, I truly believe that they do. But I think that if they hit that roadblock, I don't have a percentage. Um, maybe it's 50-50, maybe it's 75-25 of the people who will say, you know what, I'm going to knock that roadblock down, and I'm going to continue to push my point saying, this works. Um, and I think over the years, as I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and, and I've hit a lot of them speed bumps and I've given up and I've given up. But now I'm in a, I'm in a position to where your name is out there. So they know that you continue to try. It's like putting in for critical fills. You continue to put in for them and you don't get them. Eventually somebody's going to remember you and they're going to ask you to be on these job task analysis or these waterway commerce cutter stuff. So then you can really affect that organizational, you know, way of doing business. If that makes sense. The big picture stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So what, so what he was talking about with the critical fills is sometimes there's uh, leadership positions or critical positions that become vacated for whatever reason. A member decided to retire. Maybe they advanced, promoted, and went into another critical position, um, which that shouldn't happen because you're not supposed to fill a critical position and then create one, right? Um, but it, there's just openings sometimes for other leaders to step up and take these vacated spots. Um, what that typically means then is the position that they're leaving isn't going to get filled. And so it's an interesting leadership uh, issue, challenge when you are, so in your position as a commanding officer, when I was a commanding officer yourself, you want to promote your subordinates because I think uh, there was a TED episode, I don't know if you watched that, Adam, but where they have a great line in there that says, you know, a, a good mentor, you know, expects you to move on. A great mentor knows you're going to move on. Right. So that's always our goal is to promote people. Um, and sometimes it comes at a sacrifice. You might gap that position for a year or in, in my case, I gapped one for, I think, two years or something like that, um, because you may not get another person back. So that's that's uh, what he was talking about with critical positions. So is that, that is that maybe a, one of the first characteristics we can we can kind of pin on an effective organization? Is there there's like continual upward mobility? Yeah, so more opportunities for upward mobility, right? Yeah, chances for growth and opportunities. So, yes. to kind of relate what um, Adam was talking about and what Tim was talking about with um, our organization is what Adam's in charge of, what I was in charge of, what Tim was in charge of is sorry, you're good, rookie. You're just checking the mic, yeah, rookie. <laughs> uh, so, think of us and the in kind of the situations we were in as the McDonald's, the local franchise. Um, and then we serve the greater McDonald's organization. So we're just kind of one, one outlying business in the entire organization. And so there are ways, say one McDonald's, you know, figures out that the McRib needs to come back for two months instead of one. I agree with that. McRib should definitely make a comeback. <laughs> um, All the time. Permanently. Yeah, but, but what, where I think we come into some of those hurdles um, are things like we don't control the supply chains. Um, we don't even control the supply process anymore. We used to have a larger say in that. So there's all these hurdles that come in. And I think that I'm not going to speak for Adam, but I think I was really fortunate. I know you were. Um, one of the great things about, I think, our um, work is I always worked with, I worked majority with um, machinery technicians and bosomates. Now those people are empowered from the day you step in your position. I know Tim's talked about it on his podcast before that he was leading before A, even realized he was leading. B, he even knew what leadership really truly was. 
and see that he, again he was even yeah i mean i was i was leading and i was failing and i didn't even know really what never talked about leadership we were never given formal you know instruction on leadership or never had leadership class until i was well into my career Mm-hmm. So until true. you were where Kevin said, where you're the dog that's been jumping on the couch for 15 years. And then they tell you, you're not supposed to jump on the couch, you know? Yeah, great metaphor. Yeah. So that was my favorite metaphor from him. Um, but I think uh, that part of that is, is we grew up in a part of the organization where we were empowered all of the time. Um, we were empowered to make our own decisions on the boats. Um, we were empowered to have our own crews. Um, so we were always constantly empowered. And I was particularly, I know some of my fellow boatmates were not empowered to get to yes, to make it happen, to find ways and not like break rules or, you know, offend processes or anything like that, but to improve processes and not just settle for broken processes along the way. And so that was just some, the environment that was created for me by my leaders. That's what I followed. Um, and and I think, I I feel like maybe you had the same experience or yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, there, it's so easy to say, no, we're not going to do it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but you always try to find a way to yes. But I think that there, a, to me, there's three different kinds of people. There's the kind of people who are just, I'm just here to, to get a paycheck. Um, or should I say leaders? I'm here to be a leader and just do leader stuff. And that's it. I just want to get paid, do my 20 years, I'm out. There's people who want to succeed but they need satisfaction meaning they need accolades right they need awards they need presence participation trust and if they don't get it then they're done and there's people the way that i feel that i am is you know if we do something great and we can change a policy or you know i've always wanted to be the best construction tender in the fleet to this day i tell my guys it's your ship we're going to be the best and, you know, you try to, try to, I guess, inspire them. I know, Tim, you and I talked about inspiration and motivation. You can't motivate anybody. Motivation mm-hmm. itself within, you can inspire somebody. So that's what I try to do. But if we make a change, it's not on me, right? I don't want it to be, this is Adam Lorenz's change, right? If, if some commander's somewhere that I work for, the lieutenant chief of waterways, if I say, hey, this is great, they run with it, and then they make a change in the Coast Guard, my name doesn't need to be on it. As long as I know that I've affected change, right, or that, that organizational effectiveness, if we've done that and it's worked, my name does not need to be attached to it. You know, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Uh, let me ask you a follow-on question. You talked about inspiring, you know, leadership by inspiration. You talked about you're going to be the best sh- construction tender in the fleet. How do you tap into the kind of maybe the intrinsic motivation of, of your crew to not get them to buy in? Because it's like, I always say you're not selling toasters, right? You don't want to try to get them to buy in. But it's like, how do you just tap into what they naturally have and want them to be a part of that, that experience? To be honest with you, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but I can tell you, you know, the conversation, which I, I, I text you, I either text you or I emailed you. Somehow I dropped it to you. In 2000, and what would have been 2012, when I when I moved up to Long Island, um, you know I was struggling, going through some things, and uh, and uh, you came down, and I never forget that conversation because you asked me, 
can you motivate people? And I was like, oh, I can make people get motivated. And you sat on the couch and you, you, you discussed with me or you, I wouldn't say that we, uh, we debated, but you told me your philosophy about inspiration and motivation. And it really resonated with me. So, I, you know, I thought about that over the years. But then I read a book, um, I guess going back to your original question, and I can't remember. It's like the best damn ship in the Navy. It's like yeah, I've read that. I've read that. Yeah. So on and so forth, right? And so I read that book, and it talks about that captain on there when he came to Port Command, whatever the case may be. Uh, that's my dog's barking. I apologize. <laughs> I, I don't know if you heard mine, but, uh, but anyways, so I read the book. And I just started underlining stuff, right, and highlighting stuff. And I like I read chapter one, and then I would go back and I read chapter one again, and I go back and I read chapter one again, and then two, so on and so forth. And one of the biggest things I got on that ride is he told the guys and the guys on the ship, "Is this is your ship, right? You make a decision as long as it doesn't have to do with A, B, and C. You know, bigger, higher level command stuff, right? That needs to be decided. Um, but other than that, I am I am willing." to let you try something but if you fail you own it and as long as nobody gets seriously hurt right obviously there's there's some caveats to that but um we can try anything if it doesn't work you're gonna own it you know and i'm gonna let you know that it didn't work and this is why um so i think that i've kind of carried that on to the ship um But I didn't do anything. To me, I don't feel like I did anything. I just came in. I was respectful to them. I treat them like grown men. Um, and I just let them work. I let them do stuff. It, it, sometimes it takes forever. Sometimes, you know, it, it's great. But if somebody comes in and they have a better idea or they think that they have a better idea, some of the guys at first, they were like, well, you know, we've always done it this way. right?" I always say, don't normalize. We've always done it this way. Because there's nothing normal about that. So we let them fail. Or sometimes, you know, a, a guy who's 18 years old comes in and you can just see the wheels turning. Because let's be honest, the kids nowadays are a lot more educated than what we were when we first came in the Coast Guard. Uh, that, that, yeah, you are absolutely true. I mean, I, I still I remember that conversation very vividly. We had, uh, I mean, gee, we're talking almost a decade ago, right? Yeah. And I think that was something I, I probably picked up along ways, you know, we always say there's no original idea. Um, I picked that, I picked up along the way, probably in the mid two thousands and it resonated with me. Like it resonated with you. And, and again, I just, the whole motivation versus inspiration thing is, it's probably a, you know, some people there, there are times where the whole ex, extrinsic motivation thing works, right? Carrots and sticks. We, we do, you know, we are motivated. We have to work because we need money, right? We, there are some, some motivations that we just, we can't get around, but, um, you know, I agree with you, Adam. I don't know if I really understand how to inspire people to want to, to do the job or, you know, to be the best ship in the fleet. Like, man, it's, it's easier said than done. You know, it's, I think it goes back to me. It goes back to what is our purpose, right? And, and, you know, you join the, the military, you join the Coast Guard. I joined the Coast Guard, just joined the Coast Guard. We, we joined the Coast Guard to be a part of something. Right. And maybe we didn't even know what that was in the beginning. Right. We didn't really. And that's probably for all of us, you know, it's, it's, it's transformed over the years. It's, it's evolved. Right. Um, I, I think for me, it's, you know, when, when, 
from, from a work perspective, and I go back to my time when I was working in the mental health clinic uh, in the kind of the HR organization development side, you know, the, the mental health therapists that I work with, they were so passionate about what they did. Sometimes there were issues with maybe leadership or whatever that it didn't really matter so much how, how the leadership was. Like there were times where there were issues, but they were so passionate about what they did. It kind of offset that. Does that make sense? It does. 100%. So, yeah. So I, when I, if we can round this back to organizational effectiveness, you know, I've, from my, my time as, as an organization development practitioner, which is what I do now, um, an organization development practitioner is just someone who goes into organizations either intrinsically or is like an ex external consultant, and they facilitate organizational change. So from an organization development consultant standpoint, you kind of look at, at organizational effectiveness in, in two overarching themes, I think, right? Two categories. One is business outcomes. Because you can't, if you're a business, you can't get away from, from metrics and business outcomes. It all comes down to that because what happens if you're not successive or effective from a business standpoint, I mean, it's going to be really easy what's going to be happening is you're going to go out of business. So you got the, the business effectiveness side, which also applies to the military, to the Coast Guard, to your ship, Adam, you maintain business metrics from your ship, money spent, um, aids to navigation service, like all that stuff, right? Those are all business metrics that would you agree go to organizational effectiveness? You can't get away from that, right? At all? Would you agree? No, but I, I agree with you, but I don't know if that is, if that is pushed. Like we don't have, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. So to me, maybe there is in two matrices, right? Where you're saying organizational effectiveness is based off of the numbers that, we are required by policy, right, to maintain or get. Right. Um, but is that really organizational effectiveness that's as a whole? That's a great question. So I agree, I agree with you on that. So I felt for the last, so I was, you know, for the last 19 years kind of in the same field of work and we were measured, I felt our organizational um, effectiveness was measured using one tool. Um, it's like the four-letter word of my life. It's OPAR, OPD. Um, which well, not everyone's gonna know what that means honestly oh, okay. I, I could give you the name of the acronym yeah. and it's, it's arbitrary yeah. you know it's just basically the business metrics that the greater coast guard kind of gave and said this is what you used to be to in my opinion that's what i was measuring my success with now to be fair i rarely ever i could never really figure out and if i could accomplish one thing before i left the service it would be to find a way to accurately measure organizational effectiveness, including the intangibles, um, such as the personnel successes, how many um, non-rates I sent to A school and how fast I was able to do that based on constraints. Like, I feel like if I were more intelligent mathematically, and what that means is a new member coming into the service, how fast did we get them training so that they could be a specialist in their field? So, I wish there was a way because I feel like the metrics with which I was being measured against didn't capture 90% of what I was doing. It actually was all based on just kind of one thing, which was boat hours and search and rescue cases, which I couldn't control if somebody got in trouble. Um, I could control how many kind of law enforcement interactions we had, um, vessel inspections, things like that. But it really just never seemed to me the right tool to measure the type of unit I was working with or in. 
but yet that seemed to be the expectation of how I was going to explain my organizational effectiveness. Yeah. So I think part to Tim, your point is, is how do you measure that? Um, how do you measure the thousand intangible things and interactions you have every day? And I, you know, so while I, in one breath, I'm like, man, I hate the system. In the other breath, I'm like, I have no solution, <laughs> you know, like I have no, no solution. I've never had a solution for that. And it's just been something that's kind of plagued me in the background the whole time is how do I measure the organizational effectiveness? I know sure. how to do it at my units, but I didn't know how to express it to the overall service. I mean, it's like you're saying, I think that there's so many things, right? So I've always thought about how many, how many non-rates do I have that come in and just do their four years with me and then they leave and they get out of service? Is that, did I do something wrong? But a lot of these, these younger men and women that come in, they just come in for their, what's now two they can do or four years um, just to get their college money so they can go further their education. Um, success, right? That's yeah. I mean, it, it is. So you can't really use retention mm-hmm. on I mean, I don't know. I guess you could. You could look at retention. You could use hours. But, you know, with hours and stuff like that, if a hurricane comes, right, for me, my hours go through the roof. So I got a busy hurricane season. If they don't, you know, so do they look at me and say, well, you're not being as effective. So I think in the in the and navigation field, we have what they call um, PASOT, P-A-S-O-T, which is percentage of aid serviced on time. That's a that's a metrics that is based off of the district commander will say your aid availability rating has to be maintained over 99.7 or 98.7 do different categories. So they use that matrix, but just because I'm doing my mission, does that really make me organizational effectiveness on my people? Cause I could just be making them get underway to go service aids all the time. But what, what are we basing off of our cooks going to culinary schools? Are we paying for that? Are they getting chefs, chef's knives? Are they doing all this stuff? So there's so many, so many different things out there <laughs> to boil it all down into one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody says, well, what I feel that we say in the Coast Guard is retention. We're not retaining people. Well, how do we retain people? Everybody's a recruiter. We need more people in, right? I think COVID is obviously set us back a little bit in the COVID vaccine and all that stuff. But that's for another, another topic. But I don't know how we can count how we could take retention now. I think back in our days when we were coming to the Coast Guard is some people weren't thinking of school. Schools weren't really pushed or college, right? College degrees and all that stuff really wasn't pushed when, when I was a junior guy. Um, but nowadays, I mean, these, these guys and gals are coming in with, I had one girl up in New York that had a master's degree. It's like, you have a master's degree. Why are you in the Coast Guard? Because I want more money to go back to school. And I'm like, okay. And that's what she did. Well, and I think that's too. I think the Coast Guard and all, all military branches are, are facing um, kind of the same thing. We haven't been able to recruit, you know, retention rates, as you were saying. And I don't know the numbers. And maybe we have great retention rates. I'm not sure. But I know it's ebbed and flowed over my 20 years. I, I do not know where it stands now. But I think it's not that great because I just personally know how many people left my unit at the uh, mid-grade um, enlisted level and how many mid-grade officers are also leaving. And, but I think that we need to forgive ourselves in a way because we need to adapt because those are uncontrollable cultural environments. 
you know, we can't control that, you know, even your children, you know, our children were pushed out of school for a pandemic that nobody expected. And so we can't control that they see things that are on TikTok. And so the things that they're starting to value aren't necessarily, you know, they don't necessarily align with the traditional way that we would approach a service, like job stability, all this stuff. They see how much money you can make being a TikTok influencer. Yep. You know? So you can make five times the amount of a Coast Guard enlisted person by simply just promoting a product on Twitter and getting followers or TikTok and getting followers. So it's really hard for a service. It's almost like this is our storm and we must weather it, but we have to be forgiving of ourselves because we cannot culturally adapt as fast as, as the generations we're currently working with. And we definitely can't make up for the last two years where we had little or no interaction to influence any of those decisions. Right. So I think we need to be more intelligent about how we are reaching out to people and what the product is we're offering, but also be realistic that we're not going to be able to change it. I mean, one of the things I look forward to, and we were talking about this a little bit about what we're going to do with our careers and where we're going to go. One of the things I look forward to with this kind of potential reduction in service and reduction in forces is that maybe there'll be a little less pressure to do that, make your mark, you know? Yeah. Maybe it'll be valued just to be doing the hard work because we're not going to have as many people. So we won't be fighting, you know, when we're fat and numbers are fat and everybody's, you know, we, people are getting, you know, good people are getting passed over for rank because there's just too many good people. You know, now it's, I'm hoping that it'll just level out and that not everybody has to just be the best at everything and good idea fairies and, you know, I'm hoping that this will drive some of that down and we'll get back to the basics, which is one of our favorite sayings, and back to our root of just doing our jobs and doing them really well because we do really, like, I will say organizational effectiveness, we are our own worst advocates <laughs> because <laughs> we complain about not having any of the, you know, any funding, anything, anything, but we are always in the green, we always respond, and we always, you know, kick butt and take names, so. Well, and I've always, I've done multiple podcasts on when it when organizational effectiveness when you when you talk about organizational effectiveness you you start with the existential purpose of the organization what are we here to do what problem are we here to solve why do we collectively exist and how good are we are solving our problems right mm -hmm. so for adam your you you problem the problems that you're solving on your ship or how to maintain the aids like everything aids navigation related are you is your crew the best at doing their job right if I want to go to a clockmaker, I'm not going to go to an average clockmaker. I want to go to the best clockmaker, right? Correct. So, and you know, it's again, sports teams may be a terrible analogy or maybe a great analogy. You take a, a professional soccer club or a football club or a baseball club. Their job is to win. That's, right? it. that's, that's their mission. That's their purpose. And everything is collectively centered around that. So you have that side of the business outcomes, but then you have this other side the humanistic side, right? Which you talked about, Adam, you talked about, uh, you know, if you have a person who comes in the military and, and stays for four years and gets out, did you fail? Well, may, not necessarily, but there's things you can look at from a humanistic standpoint that you provide everything you could, right? So you get yeah. the business side and the humanistic side. But I think everything, everything well, starts and stops with purpose. Yeah, yeah. Purpose. And, and I think too, circling back to that is, you know, when we were, as Jess said, you know, we were fat and happy with, with all these people, right? Was, we needed 
the non-rate to come in and do four years and get out. We needed the, somebody to make E4 and get out. We needed somebody 10 years at E5 and get out, right, to move that chain, right? We needed the higher-ups really at, what, 2010-ish, I think, time frame. We needed them to – we needed higher tenure to come back. That's why they brought it back, to get them people out. That way we could progress. Um, but now we are not in that. Right now we need – Everybody to opposite, come in. Right? It's the opposite. Yeah, happening. I mean, they're they're starting boot camp courses. I think with uh, we're just talking about the Coast Guard military, yeah, yeah, not, not not the other. We're branches, starting but. our um, basic training courses with the very bare minimum amount of people yep. that um that it's required to to have at a, a company. And I'm pretty sure that they were short on one and were unable to start. Um, you know, feel free to fact check me on that, but I'm pretty positive that's where we're at. So, again, yep. though, you know, a little bit forgiving on ourselves that as with everybody, there were a ton of things outside of our control. So now it's like, why don't we just get back to those basics, back to that organizational effectiveness, reestablish a purpose, you know, find those, what's going to make us better, worse, or what does define us, what does make us successful people, and then charge on from there. You know what your unit needs to be successful. Right. You know, um, we don't always get, no, I felt like I knew what my unit needed to be successful, you know, and but I, again, I, I couldn't always get the parts. It sometimes just came down to a $50 part. Um, so it's, which is what I was saying earlier about, you know, supply chain control, like McDonald's, you know how many burgers you need to make, but if the meat stops getting delivered or you can't get quality meat, then you don't, you know, that, that is something out of your control. So how do you fix that? And that's where I think those nuances of leadership that you talk about all the time come into play and how you overcome those obstacles. Do you let the system fail, which, which we do? You know, I mean, all of us, and I know both of y'all can say it too, you know, there's a lot of money that comes out of our pockets to buy stuff for our ships and our boats because it's a lot easier to do it that way or it's more effective. Right. Um, but we shouldn't do that. But I can tell you this too, because I was just thinking about this, and, and I, have a, I have a talk with my junior guys a lot, and um, I tell them, you know, at some point in my career, this became my lifestyle. Right? This was not a job. You know, I think now if I ever wake up in the morning and I'm like, man, I don't want to go to work, then maybe it's time for me to go. Mm. You know, I, my alarm goes off every day and I just get up and I do what I do every day. It's not, you know, it's not a job to me if that makes sense. So, um, you know, I think, that you could use that too, which I don't know how you matrix that or, or and all that stuff, but. Well, I think know. it comes down to it's, it's, I have it written down. I made notes about it. It's called employee engagement. How engaged okay. is the, is the organization's employees? You are, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you're probably close to 10 as far as employee engagement, how engaged you are with the organization. Right. And not to get geek out, but I did read a paper just yesterday. It was written by Bowman and deal in 2014. And they talked about three sides of employee engagement, right? It was autonomy, intrinsic motivation, and influence. If you have those three things, you most likely have an employee that is highly engaged with the organization. So autonomy, influence, and intrinsic motivation. Isn't, and Isn't that like really just another way of saying the autonomy mastery purpose? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all, it's all similar. Yeah. I think, and it, again, it's probably not anything people don't know, but it's like, Okay, that's great that we're talking about that. That's theory. But in the practical side, how do you tap into that? Or what I would say from a leadership perspective is 
how do you create the conditions, the environmental conditions that lead to that, right? Focus on the soil, not the plants, right? yep. creating the environmental conditions. So from an organizational effective standpoint, effectiveness standpoint, I would say, I, what, what the, the, if we looked at an organization, say, and I, I threw some organizations out like Coca-Cola, right? They've been around since the 19th century. Can we say that Coca-Cola is effective? I mean, I, I don't know how you would last that long if you weren't an effective organization. Correct. Why are they effective? What are they doing that is making that organization so effective? Obviously, they have cornered the market on their brand, right? But they have obviously have, I mean, Coca-Cola served in 200 countries around the world. They obviously have a workforce, though, that is engaged to some point in what they do or their purpose or what it, whatever it is. I guess in general, though, but how do you tap into to the purpose? I mean, doesn't Coca-Cola have some sort of random addictive property, too, that they can capitalize on? Well, used to originally it was Coke. Yeah. Cocaine was originally in, in Coca-Cola. Okay. Uh, uh, true story. Um, yeah. I no, think, go ahead. I think, too, in the military, <clears throat> I think it's – I would say that there's a difference in between the civilian sector versus the military sector, you know, and – you know, say you have that one bad apple, you know, you have that, that, that BM2 that's been at the unit for five years that just knows everything and, and they're just a negative person when you come in, right? Um, in our organization, it's not like you can be like, hey, man, you're not coming to work anymore. Right. In the civilian sector, you can do that. So how do you, you know, that organizational effectiveness, so say, man, we are running – and everything is great. And that one guy or gal comes in that is just a cancer. Um, and I think, I think we all have struggled with this and we still continue to struggle with it. Is they can bring the whole unit down. True. And there's really, you know, besides some, you know, paperwork and all that stuff, right? Um, you know, how do you bounce back from that? How do you, and this might be going off the end, but I'm just, I'm reading some stuff that you, <laughs> that you have here about organization and cultures. And, well, and, and to your point too, what I see happening more now, um, you know, even with myself a little bit, I'll be totally transparent is, you know, well, this is going to, now it's going to sound terrible because I'm just going to call myself a rose, but that's <laughs> what to do. That was accidental. Um, you can also have a rose. You can have the most beautiful plant, right? But if you don't water trim and maintain that plant it will become a weed and it will overcome your unit in not a negative way you know you're gonna have thorns you're gonna have and that's what i felt that's kind of how i felt things were starting to happen as we were losing more and more control of our environment of our social environment around us at you know within the organization outside the organization and we started to lose control of those things that we could do to help nourish the soil for our plants as even the prettiest flower was becoming a weed you know, so how do you get back to that? And so for me, like the only way you can get back to that is to start restoring or try to find ways to restore those nutrients back into that soil. Um, and you got to be, as you know, you had to be wicked creative. You know, you had to make sacrifices. Um, you had to gap those positions to let those people, you know, no matter how bad you didn't want them to leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. had to, you know, and even if you had a, you had a bad weed, um, that needed to be plucked or wanted to be plucked, wanted to leave, but you're like, man, even, even a, you know, even, what is it, what did uh, Marvin Lewis used to say? Everybody's necessary, but not everybody's useful. Right. That's right. Right. 
So you had that person that was useful, but you had to determine if it was really necessary or not. You know, what was the, what was the pain of keeping, you know, some people if, you know, and it's just these tough choices and it's so hard to quantify that. And it's so hard to capture that. And it's so hard to maintain that. And then, you know, figure out how to best serve the member and the organization at the same time, even our best members, how to serve them and serve the organization at the same time. Um, I assume, you know, my, my adult experience in the civilian world has just been voyeurism through my family's businesses and they have the same thing. You know, they have the same challenges. I, I always find it funny when people do want to leave and they do want to go to all these other places. And, you know, my whole family was business owners to this day. They still are. All of my friends are in the civilian organization minus my, you know, close friends from the service. And I just see the exact same issues and, and yeah, they have a little bit of control, but if you own your own business and you want to fire somebody, then you have to think about unemployment costs. You have to pay them unemployment. Uh, so wrongful, wrongful termination, like all yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you know, they have to do documentation. You have to show that you did what you could for them. And I found that interesting that people lack that perspective in the service, you know, because they just see, sometimes it just comes down to perspective. So however you can provide that perspective to people as well could be a potential tool to overcoming you know can we can we maintain organizational effectiveness with this generation i guess that's a good question a and and i hate to say generation right because i think that I, I would like to think Which that our age, are you referring to well i'm, I'm not you're not going to put me in that trap <laughs> i'm just saying the newer the newer generation that's in the coast guard um but i would say our ancestors right or our mentors back in the day we're probably like, man, like this new generation is terrible. And now we're saying the same, which, which I don't, I don't want to say they're terrible, right? But they're, to me, they're almost too damn smart. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, like I, I'll use, I have a guy that's on the ship right now. <clears throat> He's probably one of the smallest people in the Coast Guard. He is like five foot two. I thought, I thought there was a height thing that you had to be. I guess not. He's like five foot two, um, and maybe maybe 110 pounds. Little guy. Um, when he first got here, I'm just like, I got to get him off the ship. He can't even lift, you know, a cherry fender while we're moving a ship. Um, By the way, the, big round ones. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> over a couple weeks, it was getting worse, and then something happened. And it got really bad. So now I'm looking at getting him off the ship. But he comes to me and he says, I really want to be here, Captain. I really want to be here. I said, well, you know, you need to show me. Well, I can tell you, it's been, he just hit his year of sea service. And he just got orders to go to MSTA school. And he is going to be one of the most missed people when they leave this year. Because he gets up every morning before everybody and he's doing soundings. And he can't do much when it comes to heavy lifting, right? But he's figured it out to where he knows I can do this job great and this job great and this job great. And that's what I'm going to excel in. Um, so he's, he's going to move. He's learned to leverage his strengths, right? Correct. He's learned to leverage his strengths. But he's the kind of guy, I guess, circling back to this generation, right, and being so smart, <clears throat> is he's the kind of guy who's going to be an MST and he's going to rewrite policy. He's going to find what's wrong. 
and he's going to rewrite policy. And I think that this generation coming up, we don't, you know, we just want to drive ships, right, and bang our knuckles on stuff. Um, but he isn't that guy. And I think that this new generation is going to figure out ways why we're modernizing ships, right, to drive with a joystick while they dock it. Um, I don't like that, right? So eventually my time is going to come to where, you know, and Jess's time is going to come where we just say we're done. Um, and there's no way that this organization is going to be effective when we leave. But they're going to be effective when we leave, I promise you. <laughs> we all know that. Yeah, and I think that's part of organizational effectiveness is cycling through talent. You know, as talent gets older and older, new talent is coming up, right? That's all part of organizational effectiveness. Yeah, and I, I always kind of laugh when, um, and I, Adam, we didn't lose you, did we? Okay. No. I always kind of laugh when, uh, you know, I do get those questions and people ask me, you know, this generation, you know, I go home, talk to, you know, you know, civilian people that are, you know, also working and, I've had the privilege of being in a position. I've had the unique privilege of even being able to remain in position to where I do work. You know, the average age of my two units ago, we had 107 people. The average age was 22 to 24. Um, you know, at the Cape, I, I worked with Cape Disappointment, my last unit, worked with multiple younger people. And I was, I was reassured. Um, I was reassured that everything was going to be, you know, they weren't, that they weren't matching that stereotypical mold that I just hear people complaining about. And, you know, I see it in your sons too, and they're just not what they thought. And to your point about, you know, their innovation is completely different. I, I won't call her name out and I don't know if she even knows I did this, but when I was at Fort Lauderdale, we have uh, dewatering pump cans on our boats that are pretty heavy. And we had a smaller, smaller girl um, and she was out there by herself. And I was like, she needed to move that pump can from boat to boat. And it's not an easy, there's no, there's no ladders or stairs for anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about. It's like a two foot gap between the dock and the water. And this thing is, it's usually a two person lift and she could have gone and got somebody, but I actually sat in my office and watched her figure out how to roll that thing across, go into the building, get a board so she could roll it down and then roll it across and roll it back up. Um, you know, it figured it out. Yeah, figured it out. Um, I know I, I saw, uh, uh, or, you know, way back in the day, we had a also a much smaller individual. This one just happened to be a girl as well. There was always a concern that we females weren't going to be able to basically do the physical labor of, of males when I came in. And um, I wasn't on her boat, but they got back and she ripped a very heavy well-sized man out of the water by herself by using the waves when the when the boat dipped down and the wave dipped up she grabbed a hold of him and he was in full white rain gear real heavy we're out on the west coast cold water not in a swimsuit um it was 12 to 14 foot seas out and she weighed and i know this because i did her weigh-ins um she weighed 147 pounds and she was five six she was the same height as me and she reached down and she pulled a man that was at least easily twice her weight completely out of the water by herself. Um, it's, it's just impressive what people can yep. do when they don't get in their own way and they don't set limitations on themselves. And that is my only thing that I do see is I do see younger persons in the organization saying, I can't do this 
or setting limitations on themselves that they don't know if they can or can't do. That makes sense. Like I have seen that a lot. Well, I think some people too might be afraid to fail. You know, yeah. that's one of the things. Yeah. It's, no one wants to be embarrassed, right? I always say self-preservation is is a powerful force, and people don't want to be embarrassed, and they won't really go out on a limb and, and try new things and get out of their comfort zone because mm-hmm. they don't want to fail. And that's, I mean, that's just a part of human nature. You know, I don't know how yep. you get around. And that. again, culturally, think about it. I I'm not on social media, but from what I understand, is you know usually it's typically filled with all the good things that happen to people. You know, um, I haven't seen a Facebook post where somebody's <laughs> looks bad, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. Everybody always seems to look really good and I only hear really good things unless it's, you know, death of a family member or an animal or something that is like that. So that's kind of an impossible, that, that res- hesitance to fail is kind of an unrealistic way to live life. And I think that that is probably the largest challenge that we have to overcome with with anybody that's a little bit younger than us, where I feel like we were kind of always failing. I always remember feeling like a failure. So <laughs> or I, still I like, feel like one every day, at least once a day. But I like to fail. fail failure is not bad. Yeah. You know, I think we round this back to organizational effectiveness uh, from a from a leadership standpoint. Which you know, I me, mean, I don't like to isolate leadership because there's way more than just you know leadership and management. There's followership and everything else that goes into it, but from a leadership perspective and back to that fertile soil analogy. And Adam, I think you talked about this in your, your the example you gave with one of your members, you were willing to give him some space to prove himself. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, you could have easily just threw in the towel. Right. And there probably have been other people who would have done that. And the gentleman would never had a chance, but you gave him the space to continue to kind of prove himself. And now you have, potentially a member that'll stay in the Coast Guard for the rest of his career, for an entire career. Right? Yes, so, so retaining good talent, you were able to tap into something or let him figure out what his talent was. And now hopefully the Coast Guard will be retaining good talent, which I think is probably one of the key indicators of an effective organization is if yep. they can retain their good talent. Well, right? and that was one of the things that, um, so my boss, my incoming boss, um, they're doing a relief right now, sent me an article and uh, he really kindly asked me for my opinion on it um, as a former CEO. And it was a Navy article that somebody had written about how they're basically, they have a zero defect mentality for their leaders and that it's driving their highest performers out of the, you know, out of the Navy. Um, The one mistake Navy, they call it. Yeah. The one mistake Navy. And so going, you know, looping this back to organizational effectiveness, I concur with the authors. I don't necessarily agree with all the methods that he may have presented, but I concur that you need to create an environment where you can tolerate failure because it is so unrealistic to expect us not to tank at some point. Oh, yeah. uh, and I'm not saying I tank in big ways daily, but I know every single day I, I realized that I, you know, could have been better in some way, you know? So. And, and, and I think you can look at it. Two, two things I was talking about the other day too is, like morale events, you know, back in the day, everybody was there. Now everybody wants to go home and play video games or whatever. Right. So, um, I don't know, but then you don't have the force morale events. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Love force morale. Tap into that intrinsic motivation. <laughs> yeah. But, and like everybody wanting, not wanting to fail or whatever the case may be. I, I said something the other day, uh, there's a retirement coming up for a, uh, 
Captain John Reed. He's the District 8 Chief of Staff. Um, and I was talking to a buddy of mine. I said, you know, like, you remember retirement ceremonies back in the day? All the jails were there. All the enlisted guys. There was beer and coolers. People retired. Everybody had some beers. Uh, some people had too many beers. But we all had fun, right? We all, everybody was safe. And we had a good time and we laughed and we enjoyed and we reminisced about the time that that person was in the Coast Guard and what experiences and, and all that stuff you had with them, or sea stories. Um, but you don't see that no more because everybody is so worried. Who's going to see me drinking a beer? Yeah. You know, who's going to see me having a good time? Who's going to hold that against me when I'm up for 04? You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't know how you change that either. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that ship will ever turn around. I think that uh, the course is set. Um, I don't see. I don't see that. Uh, just that it's been a culture shift over yeah. twenty-five years. Some will say for the good. Some will say for the bad. Um, who's right? I don't know. I think that debate will be forever be a debate. Uh, but I know. I do know that there are a few things you can do now. You know, in the military, and it's going to be a quick exit where it may not have been like that two decades ago or two and a half decades ago. So does right. that mean the organization's more effective than it was two decades ago? Yeah, I don't know. Which is fascinating um, because to the opposite of my point before, when I was saying, you know, sometimes it's hard to motive, incentivize or tap into people's intrinsic or their personal motivation to join the military service now because they see all these other opportunities that were never present and they don't have to, you know, I, I gotta be honest, I can't wait to try a different hair color someday. Cause that's just something I haven't been able to do for 20 years. You know, yeah. um, you do give up a certain amount of civil liberties to join the service. Um, but I did, we watched recently that, that series we work, um, you know, and it was about those startups we crashed. or we crashed. Yeah, we crashed, sorry, we crashed. Um, and it was about like those hip new organizations that are, you know, like the Twitters and like the awesomeness and they were partying yeah, playing beer pong at work. Yeah. I mean, and um, yeah, it was crazy. I just thought it was an interesting thing that where it's so frowned upon in our organization, but it's so glorified, you know, think Wolf on Wall Street. Now that was like, you know, obviously yeah, there was, was a lot of inappropriate hardcore. stuff in there. And that yeah. was like the far left spectrum of that. But it's like, we've moved kind of to the far right spectrum yeah. and maybe that balance. I think there is a balance of morale that helps a organizational a organization be effective. Yeah. Or a and, micro organization like Adam Ship, right? Yes. Right. That, that does that. So. But I think too, you know, like the tattoo policy, right? I 100% disagree with the tattoo behind the ear. I do. I, I think it's, you know, we want to be professional and stuff like that, but, and I'll always, and I'll say this to you too, Jess is, you know, the little things that, that the Coast Guard is doing to make us more, um, I guess retention rates or, you know, recruiting rates and stuff like that, like ponytails for women. Um, I think it is terrible. I really do. I think it looks bad, but that was my opinion. So I asked, right. Cause I did the right thing. And I went to a couple females and I said, Hey, why is this such a great thing for you? And the common, I, I, I think I pulled like four or five, four or five women. And the common things were, for one, it takes me two hours in the morning before you get up to get my hair. <laughs> the next thing, what really resonated with me is there's many women in our service 
that get migraine headaches because they have to pull their hair so tight back. But you know what? My biased opinion was I see that person with the ponytail and I'm like, we look like shit. Yeah. But I didn't even ask the question. But then, you know, in my mind, right, my older self, it's like, well, maybe I got to ask a question. Maybe I need to see a woman's perspective on this. And I even asked my sector commander. And she's like, this is why. I'm like, perfect, you know? And I changed my whole opinion about it. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're definitely, uh, you might be talking to the wrong person on that because I'm of the mindset that if I can have a ponytail, I don't understand why y'all can't have ponytails. So <laughs> I just want a beard. <laughs> yeah, so that's where I'm at. I've, Someday, I've never buddy. understood. But I also was of the mindset too where I didn't complain about my hair because I knew the answer would always be to cut it off. And, yeah. uh, and I had to basically be a unisex person. And so when I was out in my uniform, I wanted to still have some feminine qualities. So that's why I kept it. But so that's, that's just like getting into those personal motivators. And that's really cool that you reached down and said that because that is true. That just happened to me. We only wear our uniform once a week in my position. We're in business suits every other day. And on, um, you know, one day we wear a service dress. And the other day I had my hair in a bun and it did give me this most massive migraine. And I, you know, I was so happy to take my hair down because I, I can't do the ponytail thing either. I, it's just, I can't Well, do you've it. been not doing that for so yeah, long. Yeah, it's, it's just for us to have it. And yeah. it doesn't take me two hours. I can just whip that stuff up in a second. But, um, but uh, yeah, it gave me a massive migraine. So that's interesting. I think there's also organizational decisions that we have to adjust to. Um, I'll never forget this great thing. So, you know, I know this is a little Coast Guard specific, but I think you can take an example like this. Like my father hated when people wore jeans to work, hated it. Um, I hope he you know, doesn't listen to this and then call me out. But now he wears jeans to work on Friday and he realized how comfortable it was. And I don't remember specifically what the transition is, but I know it related to this. There was a um, girl I worked with, um, she got her nails done because there was a wedding coming up and it was just a little too much, you know? It was just the color where we're only allowed to do certain colors. And it was just a little too much, but she paid money for it. She was an E5, you know, and she was like, I just need to kind of get through two days. And somebody called her out on it. And she's like, so I don't get it. You can have a full color tattoo sleeve, you have a bright purple rainbow all the way to your elbow. There can be a bright purple stripe tattooed on you permanently. But four inches away, I can't have a pink fingernail. And I was like, make it make sense. I was like... <laughs> And I was kind of like sitting there and I'm like, ah, fair enough. Can you just try harder next time to like, you know, and she was a good performer and you know what I mean? Like, and, and the, the, the uh, gentleman she was speaking to, you know, took empathy, like you took empathy on, on your um, person that worked for you. And, and I think um, we probably need to do that a little bit more and, you know, humanistic values yes. is part of the organizational effectiveness. But again, how to measure that. You know, so yeah, because I could answer a million butts, but well, I mean, you can measure it with Adam's example. I mean, that one member could have been out of the Coast Guard, but now this member's continuing on. So maybe there's, I mean, one small sliver of a metric that you can kind of see. It's tangible. You can see it, right? And I don't know, I'm sure there's infinite number of examples like that all over the Coast Guard and every other organization about retaining good talent, tapping into something that someone had that maybe they didn't even realize that was in themselves. And because you gave them a little space, right? You gave them a little autonomy to figure things out themselves. They were able to, to kind of continue on, stumble a little bit and then pick up some speed. And or maybe some organizational biases. 
you know, where you just evaluated an organizational bias you had, like yeah, the ponytail or, you know, why can't you have a pink fingernail? But now we've authorized tattoos all the way to here that could be bright purple, you know? Yep. So, so it's that, it's that organizational bias that it's okay to, you know, it doesn't need to happen all the time. And a lot of effort doesn't need to be spent on, cause I, I consider this a little superficial. Like, why are we spending effort on this? Um, yeah. so every time that, that uniform policy update manual comes out, I'm like, we had people spend like a lot of time on this and that always bothers me. Yeah, so can I ask a question about the Coast Guard? Obviously I've been, I'm far removed now, but, uh, as the Coast Guard evolves their, their uniform policies, tattoo policies, isn't this a sign that the Coast Guard is evolving? They're adapting, they're flexible, they're agile in their, in their social thought for the members. They know like, you know, this isn't the 1950s anymore, the 1960s, like this is, 2022, like we do have, like the generations are different. They have different needs. Does that make sense? Is that a fair question? Well, I think as a matter of, you could look at the Coast Guard and say as a matter of style, they're swimming with the fishes as a matter of principle. I think they still need to stand like a rock. You know, there's certain entry things that we shouldn't concede. Um, And these other little ones are very stylistic. Yeah, it's like small wins for for the members. Yeah, and I think that as long as it stays there, I don't think it would hamper the organizational effectiveness or, you know, I think there, again, these are like the superficial things where we have to reevaluate organizational biases and say, is this really something that we should give up a top performing member for? Um, Yeah. I don't know. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the policies were set in place, you know, for us not, not being able to have visible tattoos and, and stuff like that because the, the public at that time was different. Now tattoos are in their hip, right? It's as common as earrings. Yeah, correct. So, I mean, and it is. And I think that that's the way the Coast Guard's going. I don't necessarily agree with it, but. Um, I understand why we're doing it. But I think as we talk about organizational effectiveness, the the common theme is retention. Mm -hmm. And obviously the matrix that they give us saying, you're going to, you know, spend this many hours on this platform and stuff like all that stuff is it's organizational effectiveness, but it's required. You know, so I, I mean, retention is my biggest thing, you know, and, and I think I can argue that to the grave is, you're effective when you have people that are doing the mission and they continue to do the mission for many, many, many years. They want and to do it, the mission, right? They want to do it, right? They want to get underway that, you know, that person that when a star alarm goes off at 2.30 in the morning, you always know that guy or that gal that's coming in last because they don't want to get underway. But you know that that one MK2, he's like, he's laying down in his rack sleeping in his full uniform. Was like, was that the alarm? Boom. And he's in there. I want to get underway, you know. He does and the Nos- Nosferatu like straight posture stand up, <laughs> like runs. Yeah. I know. But, yeah. 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 Well, I think we're just over an hour. Uh, very gracious of your time, Adam, for joining. This is our first. This is my first Lidosophy roundtable. Uh, we actually had someone join. I put it out there. You know, no one joined last week. But it was the first one. I mean, I was a sympathy join, right? Yes, and you. Yeah. So obviously. <laughs> So I, I just was like my fill in. If no one joined this one for the second week, I'm like, Jess. What? No, I was kidding. off. I was able to. I, know. I was super excited. To be Adam, you're always welcome. I'm going to try to do these uh, once a week. You know, for okay. listening, I'm going to try to do these once a week. 
Um, I think the organizational effect on this topic continue, continue, continue to evolve, uh, especially the more uh, thoughts we get in into the room, but we'll definitely try to kind of switch topics up week to week and have some ideas. I'll, I'll put some ideas the day before, or two days before. And, you know, if you, people can join, they can join. If not, not, it's open to anybody. At least anyone that I send the invite out to in our Facebook group. So, so out yeah. of anyone else that may want to join, bring them in the Facebook group. Yeah, I'll just say I actually just came in here because I heard Adam jump on. So (laughs) I will, um, I'll definitely do a little bit more research. You know, like I said, it was just kind of a last minute thing, but that was awesome. It was awesome. I'm I'm extremely grateful that you were here. And again, I I, I had a great conversation. All right, Adam, thanks for joining. Jess, thanks for joining. Remember, Leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen your understanding of leadership and of life. Thanks for watching. Catch you next time. Thanks, Adam. Take care. See ya. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.